This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Moorhead team, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Casey Wright on here. He's a mortgage broker with the Rencon Group, and he's also a real estate investor. And he's going to tell us all about how he helps real estate investors in the Austin, Texas area, and why he loves Austin. Hey, Casey, how are you? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on here. I know we've been John, the perpetual reschedule, it feels like. So yeah, busy <laughs> really schedule these days. Yeah, I really wanted to make sure we got it done today. Well, you're you're busy, you're a busy guy, and you're always running all over the place doing fun stuff and investing and doing mortgages for people. So you've got a lot going on and you know, everybody's busy anymore. Yeah, definitely. The stark contrast from from 2020. Everybody had too much free time. Now we don't have enough. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think uh People got a little used to that, and they're they're wanting it back. I think so, so real quick, Casey, who are you, and how are you involved with real estate investing? So I am a commercial mortgage broker. Uh, I own a company uh, that I started when I was living in San Francisco Bay Area, uh, and we help uh, investors, uh, mom and pop level, find. Uh, financing for projects. So we specialize in uh, multifamily as well as all the types of commercial in the one to $20 million range. So it's not as much institutional, it's more of the casual investors, the mom and pops and people getting started. And we arrange the financing aspect of it. And so we kind of provide all sides of the equation when people are trying to creatively put together deals you know we can do anything from conventional financing all the way down to private money and bridge financing so um you know uh, my value to my clients is being able to come up with creative solutions for their real estate needs that's awesome yeah i know being creative is a huge part in getting your financing done and you do a little bit of real estate investing yourself too right I do. I actually, you know, I, I got into real estate, you know, 15 years ago out of college because I wanted to invest in real estate. You know, and I figured the easiest way to learn how to invest is to just to jump into the industry. So, um, you know, the last handful of years, uh, I've been buying uh, commercial buildings, um, some single family, some multifamily, some triple net, um, you know, all over the United States to build, build up my portfolio. Thanks. I'll bet. So um, obviously you're not originally from Austin. You said you were in the San Francisco Bay Area. What made you choose to relocate to Austin? You know, I, uh, I, I was not having that much fun in San Francisco during the pandemic. And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dave, uh, invited me to come visit Austin. I'd never been to Texas before, and this was about a year ago in August. And I, I loved it. The weather was warm. Um, you know, the people were friendly, uh, it's a beautiful city and the, the, the people are just amazing here. So, um, I came out for a few days, I fell in love and I 
canceled my lease the next day when I got back to uh, California, packed up all my uh, stuff and, and drove out here. So, um, you know, I, it was a, a definitely a new experience. I'd never lived outside California before. You know, I never lived more than about 50 miles from where I was born until uh, until about October of last year. So it was a definitely new experience, but I really like this town. It's uh, really beautiful. It, it's a lot greener than I expected. I didn't, didn't expect Texas to be this green and this beautiful, but I, I really like it. And I think I'll be here a lot. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Everybody thinks that, you know, oh, Texas is just all a dust bowl. You know, you're going to have tumbleweeds rolling across the road. That's what I pictured too. Yeah. And, you know, the, the cow skulls and the tumbleweeds and, the, you know, it's, this is a, um, this is greener than California is actually for the most part because it doesn't rain in summertime in California. So where I live, beautiful in the winter and in the spring, but then it, it's kind of brown, you know, so, um, but this is, I mean, this is beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have any water problems. We don't have any hurricanes. We don't have any snow. We really don't have any bad weather. It gets hot in the summer, but it's not so hot. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, this, you know, I, I just got to plan my vacations around July, August to get out of town. Uh, yeah. It's pretty warm in, uh, in August. Um, uh, you know, where I grew up in California, though, it's, it's hot in the summer. So I was used to that. Uh, San Francisco is a little cold, but that's not really my style. I like wearing, you know, a t shirt. Uh, and shorts uh, in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah, you can do a t-shirt and shorts in the winter if you're yeah. aggressive enough. I should have worn shorts today, but I knew I had this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you got pants on for the podcast. Awesome. Um, so you said right away that you got into real estate as a job because you wanted to get into real estate investing. What attracted you initially to real estate investing in you know, why have you pursued what you do? You know, so you're obviously a commercial mortgage broker. You work in the one to 20 million range, which is probably small for some people, but that's big for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what piqued your interest in real estate investing just to start? It was, uh, it was kind of a cli the cliche. It was in college, I had a class where they made me read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Really? And I, uh, you know, I, I knew a little bit about real estate, both my father and my grandfather in real estate, they, they passed away before I was old enough to understand what they did. And, um, you know, I read that book and I, you know, I, you know, realized that it, unless you have passive income, you work until the day you die. And I wanted to build passive income. Um, so I didn't know how to do it at the time. And I, uh, at a college, I tried a couple different things within the real estate realm. And I, uh, got really good at the finance side. I, I've got a mind for the for the numbers. So I've been doing that for uh, since about 2009 now. And, um, you know, and since then, I've taken some of the money I've made helping others build their portfolios, and I've used it to start building my own. That's awesome. So just curious, what college and what class required you to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've actually never heard that before. I went to a small state school in California called uh, Cal State Chico. Okay. Um, it's about uh, two hours north of Sacramento. It's a small little town. And uh, I had actually switched schools. I was a computer engineering major originally, and I found that there wasn't enough human interaction for me. I was sitting yeah. in a cubicle all day. Uh, you know, not talking to anybody. Uh, so I switched, went to business, and I believe it was an entrepreneurship class uh, where they, they made us read that book. Uh, so it was, I think entrepreneurship was my focus within the business uh, school. 
That, that's awesome. I was actually on track to be computer software major, but just, yeah, same thing as you, man. It's just not enough human interaction for me. I like people. I like talking to people. Of course I have a podcast. Yeah. I, I just got burned out. I was sitting in front of a computer typing code all day and I just, I couldn't do it, you know? So I, I tried something else and I loved it. That's awesome. So <clears throat> you talked about you were doing all these loans for other people and then you started investing some of that money yourself. Were you able to see all this massive wealth people were building and just said, man, I gotta, I gotta be frugal and get some of my own money in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the people who had cash in 2010 and 2011, um, tripled their money in a few years, you know, who were able to buy properties for pennies on the dollar, um, you know, who were good at, uh, fixing up the units or, or adding more units to properties and they were able to create tremendous wealth, you know, uh, you know, so I saw some opportunities in there. Um, most of those were in California. Um, at the time I was doing more loans in California. Now I go a little bit more nationwide. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I saw people who were, if you did it correctly and you bought at the right price and you, um, you know, you can, fix a property up, refinance every few years, pull out your equity and then do it again. Um, you know, so it, uh, and it's a tremendous wealth builder and a tremendous tax strategy. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And that's all of the reasons why I'm in real estate myself. So you mentioned earlier, you help people get creative with their financing can help with private money and just creative strategies to get things done. Could you just give us an example of what, a creative one you've done recently might look like because most people think I got to have 25% down it for commercial. It needs to hit a certain debt service coverage ratio. It has to fit in this, this not so little box, but it has to fit in this box. sounds like you guys do some sure. stuff outside well, of the box. One, one example that comes to mind and it's interesting. You mentioned the box that it needs to fit in. So that's the nice thing about working with a broker as myself is, Every lender has a box that the loans that they want fit in that box. And those boxes are constantly changing. Lenders are constantly coming in and out of the market. They're constantly changing their appetite for different types of loans. You know, if a lender makes too many loans on multifamily, they'll just turn the faucet off for a period of time while they fill up with more diverse portfolio. So one we're actually working on right now, and I was on a call right before this, was a client of mine called me. He's from California. He wanted to buy... Uh, 36 units in Texas, and um, he, the seller needed to sell in a hurry. Like 15 days, we had to close. No lender will touch a loan that quickly. Um, it, he also was buying this tremendously under market, and he had some plans to put some money into it. So I was able to secure him a private money loan at 86% uh, loan to value, uh, and he closed in 10 days. And um, so then he was able to, since we got so little down payment, since the lender funded some of the work he was planning on doing, he had the money to increase the value of the property. And so we closed, I want to say, in, in late June of last year. Now the value of the property is probably over $3 million, and he paid about $2.4. And uh, we're going to get him a new loan to replace his old one, and he's going to get a new value, and he's probably going to get some cash back. So he'll probably be in this thing, almost no cash when it's said and done. And he'll have a property that's appreciated in value almost $600,000 in eight months. And uh, he would not have been able to do that with a conventional loan. Um, we got him something with no prepayment penalty, so we're able to get him out quickly. 
And now he's going to have a great 36 unit building um, with tremendous cash flow, and he'll have almost no income or no cash in the property. So he can take the cash that he had and go out buy something else. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Find me one of those, man. I'm selling some places. I need to uh, find a replacement for them. So if you come across any of those, absolutely shoot them my way. And as, as everybody wants, I'm sure. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Yeah, that's true, you know, uh, and most of, because of my industry, most of the deals I come across already have a buyer attached to them. Yep. You know, the, the, the buyer doesn't call me until he's already in contract. So we don't see a ton of those uh, just free floating, but you're right. Everybody's looking for those right now too, including myself. So. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, you know, you've seen a bunch of deals. Um, something we like to ask on this show is, could you give our listeners some advice on how to avoid a bad deal? So everybody talks about all their great deals and all these, you know, we bought it for 2.4, it ended up being worth three. But what have you seen that you'd tell other people to avoid or something to look for to avoid a bad deal? Um, well, one small example that I ran into was uh, I had an opportunity to buy a single family house in um, uh, somewhere in the Midwest, I can't remember. And we had to close in like two days and we did not get a survey because we didn't have time. And we found out the house was encroaching on the lot line of the neighboring house. And so we quite literally had to shave two feet off the side of the house in order to fit with the zoning requirements. So we lost square footage on the house. So that's a small example. It's not going to break the bank. Um, I think with with larger deals, you know, multifamily deals and things like that. I think if it's if it's listed on the market, take the marketing package with a grain of salt. Uh, the marketing package is designed by the guy who wants to sell the house or sell the building, right? Have somebody who knows what they're doing on re-underwrite it. So I always underwrite my properties for my clients and take the information the broker gives us, and I weed through all the BS because there oftentimes is a lot of that, and then we determine the real number. Um, so that can be a big one. The listing agents oftentimes, not maliciously necessarily, but sometimes they omit important things that need to be addressed. You know, is this in a flood zone? How old is the roof? Um, you know, are the tenants actually paying? You know, a question we ask all the time now is, are there any COVID-related issues? Uh, sometimes sellers are listing properties uh, because half the tenants aren't paying rent. And those are difficult to deal with because you can't evict them and they're not paying. It's far worse to have a COVID tenant than it is to have no tenant at all because at least you can fill a vacant space. So, um, you know, having a second set of eyes is always very valuable. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other issues we've run into. That, that's kind of the big one is, a, is a, a buyer calls me and says, hey, I'm looking at this property. The, the seller says I can get this this kind of loan on it and this is it. And I, and I look at it and I go, I don't think you can do that. Or this isn't as good a deal as they're telling you it is. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the people out and overinflate uh, things. Uh, you know, especially with properties, it's like they're it's like their baby. You know, it's worth ten times more than what the market suggests, and it's way cuter than what the neighbors think. <laughs> yeah, no, you hear that term of endearment when somebody says "my property." It's always, "Oh, my property," and they kind of lean into it, like, mm -hmm. "Oh, it's it's my baby. I love this thing." And you're like, "Well, it's it's actually not doing too well, so I'm not sure I can pay you this for it." And I've I felt the same way as a seller. When somebody comes back and says, hey, you know, this is messed up or this isn't making the money that it should or, or here's why we need a discount, it's easy to get upset, but it's just business. And unfortunately, you got to weave through that dealing with sellers. Uh, <clears throat> so Casey, what's one thing a newer investor should know when they're looking at a property with a loan balance of one to 20 million. So if you're newer into the commercial space, let's just use 2 million, for example, you're looking at a $2 million property, it's a 20 unit property. What What's the first step you're gonna tell them? Obviously we already went over, look at the offering memorandum, take it with a grain of salt. But when somebody's approaching getting a loan on a property like this, what would you tell them? So in the, in, in the pure residential world, right? Single family, one to four units, uh, we kind of joke that, you know, the, the lender looks at 90% borrower, 10% property. Mm -hmm. In the commercial world, it's the opposite. It's 90% property, 10% borrower. And the reason is the property is paying the mortgage. All your job is not, is just to don't screw it up, right? So we, we are going to pull your credit. We're going to look at your financial statement. We're going to pull your tax returns. Uh, tax returns is not required. There are loans that do not require tax returns. However, they're not quite as aggressive. So if you don't have good tax returns, we can still solve that problem. Same thing with credit. If you don't have good credit, we can still solve the problem, but you might not get the best rate on the planet. Um, but the key is going to be to look at the property itself. So what I tell my clients is I cannot tell you what loan to value to expect until I've seen the numbers and I've gone through it with my underwriting team and determine what kind of loan to value the property supports. Maybe you can get as little as 20% down. That's kind of the, the max uh, loan to value, 80% for multifamily. Um, but it rarely is that the case, especially in places like California where cap rates are so low. Um, so we would go through it, underwrite it, and determine what kind of loan to value the property supports. In terms of down payment, you know, let's say it supports 70%. So then 30% down, we would also want to see probably about 10% of the loan amount as liquid assets after close. So we want to see some liquidity. The lender wants to make sure you get enough money for a rainy day or a leaky roof or some vacancy. So rule of thumb, 10% of the loan amount as liquid assets. So if we're getting a million five loan, 150,000 and something, relatively liquid stocks, bonds, gold, crypto, whatever you want, as long as it can be liquidated relatively quickly. So they're, they're considering crypto now. I didn't know that. I mean, crypto is just as liquid as a stock. Um, yeah. so I, I, I could absolutely use that. You could liquidate that tomorrow. Um, you know, if you had a hundred percent of your assets and some crazy, uh, coin nobody's heard of, I might recommend you pull it out and put it in some cash first. Um, <laughs> You know, the only, the only reason a lender might be nervous about crypto is how volatile it is. Yeah, exactly. Since it is so liquid, you can pull it out tomorrow. Um, but if you had all of your cash in a cryptocurrency, I would probably recommend, hey, 
pull that out, put it on the sidelines for two months while we do this loan, and you can go right back in. Um, and you're probably not going to miss out on too much. Yeah. So, you know, you, you talked about a 90% of this is the property. And I think everybody gets gets that. I hear talk to people all the time and say, oh, well, commercial loans are just all about the property. But you mentioned about 10% of it's about you. Could you talk about what you look for in a borrower as an individual or maybe a partnership and why that's still important to a point? Sure. So, uh, you know, we have no issues with partnerships. We have no issues with syndications. You can have as many partners as you want. Uh, however, if you have more than like five partners, lenders are going to start charging you more for underwriting. Mm. But, um, you know, we want to make sure you got good credit so you pay your bills. The, the general uh, cutoff line is around 680 credit score. Um, if you're at or below there, we're going to need explanations as to why. If you're the kind of person who just doesn't pay their bills, you're probably not going to get a loan. Um, you know, or I'm going to get you one of those loans that's just not that exciting on the interest rate with a lender who's willing to take more risks. So, you know, you might be paying 100 basis points higher on the rate uh, because people who don't pay their bills are higher risk. Uh, we do look at tax returns, so we want to make sure you have some form of income generally. Um, and then we're going to look at financial statements. What other assets do you have? Do you have any credit issues in the past? What do you have cash? What, you know, what other real estate assets do you have? Uh, if somebody with zero real estate assets calls me and wants to buy 50 units, um, they're not going to get the best loan on the market because the lenders who are offering the best rates want the least risk. And somebody who has zero experience is at slightly higher risk than somebody who has 15 other properties, right? Mm -hmm. So the nice thing, though, is especially working with a broker as myself is I look at all of those things and I figure out which direction we need to go to get you what you're looking um, if you, you know, I usually tell my clients, you know, call the banks that you know, call your personal bank, call another bank, and then call a broker that you trust, whether it's me or some other mortgage broker that you trust. And then that way you're going to get a good feel for what the market can bear. Um, the, we look at the whole package and kind of determine which direction to go. But the, yeah, credit score, cash, assets, tax returns, that's generally what we look at. So if you are missing one of those or low on those and you're good on the others, we can usually still make it work. Uh, but if you have, you know, three out of the four of those aren't looking very good, then it's much, much more difficult to get a loan or the rate is just significantly higher because of that. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear all the time people say, well, you know, commercial loans are just about the property. And, and then I've heard, that, that what you just said there, hey, it's not all about the property. It's it's 90% about the property, but you can't be an absolute degenerate at the same time. Right. And I had a, a, a client call me the other day and he wanted a non-recourse loan. And it was recourse and it was non-recourse. And for the, for the average person, recourse simply means that if you default, they can go after both the property and the borrower. Non-recourse means they can only go after the property. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that if there's a non-recourse loan, that the borrower doesn't have to provide any personal information, and that's just not true. Uh, the lender will still make sure that the borrower is capable of servicing this loan. Um, they just won't have the kind of a penalty if they were to make a mistake. So um, they definitely are double checking because even though the property is paying for it, a bad borrower can screw it up. 
you know, maybe they don't manage it properly and the, the units stay vacant, or if you have bad tenants, you don't pay. There can be a lot of reasons that this could go downhill. And lenders are not in the business of gambling. They want a sure thing. So if you're anything but a sure thing, a lot of times they'll pass. So we have to go to a lender who, who is willing to gamble. So um, it's a sliding scale. You know, I can find a loan for almost anybody, um, you know, with the exception of people with absolutely terrible credit or people who are just delusional and think that they have no cash and still can buy a property. That's, that's usually the only ones that can't do it. If they can't even provide a down payment, how can they, you know, do the, do the loan? So, um, and that often arises because they think every property has one specific down payment, you know, 25% down. Um, when it doesn't, it has to do with, you know, when we figure out the, the down payment, it's the income versus the expenses versus the purchase price in addition to the location. So you could have two identical properties next door to each other. And if they have different prices, you'll have entirely different run to value. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. That's a lot of great information. Um, and we'll get, to, we'll get to how you can contact Casey here in just a minute. So you guys understand, you know, how you can reach out to Casey and get more of these specific questions answered. Because like Casey said, every property is completely different. You know, even if the property next door has a gross income of 10,000 and it's priced at X and the property, this property is gross income of 5,000 and it's the same price, it can be a much different loan that you're looking at for each of those places. So absolutely, you need somebody like Casey in your corner when you're looking especially in the one to 20 million range and you need to be a little creative in some way or another. <clears throat> so Casey, obviously you're buying real estate, you're loaning on a lot of real estate, you're helping a lot of real estate investors. Um, what's next for you and your company? Do you have any long-term goals or any vision for where you're going? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, our next step is we're looking to build um, the multifamily buying aspect of it. Uh, we're starting to syndicate and we're even looking to build a fund towards buying some properties. Um, you know, we're still targeting different areas throughout the U.S. that we think are, are going to be good long term. Uh, buying old locations, but we're our plan is to expand uh, our our holding. You know, I'm taking the knowledge that I learned for you know underwriting 50 properties a week for the last 13, 14, 15 years, uh, and we're using that expertise along with some other strategic partners to um, you know make connections in other cities and, and to continue buying up real estate. So our plan is to expand our portfolio. Uh, we're only about uh, 65 units, I think, right now. It's not uh, where we want to be. We've only been buying apartments and a single family for a few years now, um, but we'd like to get that, um, you know, in, in the several hundred range in the next uh, two or three years. Awesome. That's really cool stuff. Um, so, is there a, the preferred way for you for people to reach out to you? I mean, I'd be happy. I've got a phone number and an email. Those are the two best ways for people to reach out. They can get to me through my website if they want. There's a, a link that allow you to schedule a phone call. Okay. I'd be happy to consult with people if they're just tired kicking on a property. And I can kind of point them in the right direction for what they need to be looking for specifically, depending on the location. 
the location obviously is key in a lot of different aspects of what they're looking to do. You know, if they're trying to buy uh, in a really small town versus a large town versus a huge city, uh, different states have different rules about uh, the way things are underwritten. So, um, you know, be happy to show very quickly what, what I can do. Usually all I would need is a marketing package or an offering memorandum on a property if it's listed. And I can tell you within a few hours, my team and I can underwrite it and let you know what kind of financing is available uh, within pretty good accuracy uh, before we get all the, the details. Um, and that's something that can be very helpful. And in addition, we can pre-qualify buyers for that purchase so that when they go to make an offer uh, with that pre-qualification letter in hand, which is going to make their offer that much stronger and stand out among other offers. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. A lot of people, just just for everybody listening that's not familiar with this space as much, um, and I don't own anything. Well, I own one, one building in this range, but not enough. Uh, but getting somebody to underwrite your deal right away is a big deal and getting somebody to, to vouch for you after they've done that is also a big deal. So Casey, and what is make sure that people are qualified too. So we qualify buyers all the time. I can look at their financial situation and their partnership structure and, and make sure that they can, they can get into a deal. And if there is a reason they can't, we have solutions to help them put themselves in a better position. The last thing somebody wants to do is, is make an offer on several properties get one of them and fall out of contract because then that's time wasted for them. And it also looks bad to those brokers. The brokers who brought them the deal isn't necessarily going to want to bring them more if they're the kind of person who keeps falling out of contract. So we want to make sure people are airtight when it comes to having their, their financial situation in order before they make offers. That way they know that they can close and that keeps everybody happy and that's going to get them more deals. Yeah. No, that's awesome stuff. What is the best email to reach out? And we'll put all this in the show notes too for everybody listening, but what is the best email for people, Casey? Uh, it's it's my first name, Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, mm-hmm. at rincon-group.com. That's R-I-N as in Nancy, C-O-N as in Nancy, uh, hyphen G-R-O-U-P.com. Awesome. Yeah. And again, everybody listening, we'll have all of Casey's contact info in the show notes. So you'll be able to reach out to him, but I highly recommend you reach out to Casey. If you're looking for something in this space, the, just the two things he just mentioned, not, not to mention all the other stuff we talked about earlier, but that's huge. When you're going to shop for something like this, you need somebody like Casey in your corner. Um, Casey, do you have a favorite business or mindset book you like to recommend? Hmm. Uh, I've got a lot of books that I like to read here. What's one right here behind me? Uh, Traction is sitting there right behind me. Yep. I'm moving offices, so most of my books are gone. But um, uh, The E-Myth is a great, great business book. As I mentioned, Rich Dad Poirier is a great way to get started into, into everything. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I, I read The Thank You Economy very recently. Uh, Zero One. Uh, and I just started reading The Nomad Capitalist, but I'm not that far into that one. Nice. I have not read that. Similar to Traction, I just read uh, Building an Elite Organization by Don Winner. Oh, yeah. I think I got that at the same time you got that. Didn't, yep. didn't they send a copy to us in, uh, in GoBundance? Yeah. So he spoke at the GoBundance event in, uh, if I can't put my finger on it, probably August. Um and that's just an amazing book. I'm actually re-listening to it. I'm listening to it on Audible. He narrates it. I liked it that much. 
I have never, never reread a book that quickly. Hmm. So it's just an amazing book. A lot in similar with traction, but of course, Don's in the same industry as us. So I can just relate to so much what he's talking about. But yeah, highly recommend that. For Traction's an awesome book. Building an Elite Organization by Don Winter um, is an awesome Yeah, book. I think I've got that in my bookshop somewhere. I'll also check that out. I've got too many books on the list right now. I'm buying them faster than I read them. So that's oh, that's... The perpetual problem for me. I have a whole bookshelf sold books, and I take, I don't put anything that I've read back on the bookshelf. Actually, I put it, put it away, but I always have a full bookshelf. When that's crazy because I don't put, I've already read back there. All right, Casey. As we're wrapping up here, we have one last very important question for you. What is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I have an unfortunate admission here. I have not been to many of the barbecue restaurants that I've wanted to visit. So I've only been to a few of them. I've yet to go to Franklin's. I've been to Laura, which is excellent. Um, I, I probably go uh, Uchi is excellent sushi. That's probably one of my favorites. Uh, I really enjoy that one. Got to make reservations. Communication in advance, but um, yeah. Uh, if, if you like sushi, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, Uchi is amazing. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here today, Casey. Again, we're going to put all Casey's contact information in the show notes, but uh, Casey at Rencon slash, or sorry, hyphen, yeah. hyphen group. You know, I forget all the different hyphen group.com. Um, so we'll have that in there. Highly recommend you reach out to Casey if you're looking to get into commercial real estate in the one to 20 million loan volume. So reach out to Casey. He would love to help. Thanks so much, Casey. Hey, thanks for having me, Jordan. It's good talking to you again. Yeah, thank you.